Church families, we continue to worship. I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Psalm 27 this morning. Psalm 27, specifically verses 1 through 3. As we head into the summer months, we're going to be looking at selected psalms that help us face uh, difficulties and trials of life. I wonder, can you pinpoint the first thing in life that you were fearful of? Can, can you pinpoint in your mind what uh, your, uh, when, when your awareness of fear came home for you? For me, it was really, really clear. I can go back. I was about five years old. I had a great aunt. My mom would load up me and my two younger brothers, and we would vacation staying at my great aunt's house there in Pensacola. She had two children, an older uh, uh, son and an older uh, daughter who, who I just adored as a little kid and always looked up to. And when we would go to stay at my Aunt Helen's house, my excitement wasn't necessarily going to the beach as much. or It was just being, it was being with Andy and Jennifer. So where they were is where I wanted to be, especially when I was really, really young. And so the first night we got there, five years old, you got to go to bed. Everybody else gets to stay up. They're watching a movie. I go to the bed. I want to watch what they're watching. I want to be where they are, but I had to go to bed. So I couldn't go to sleep, so I tiptoed down the hallway. I turned the corner, and that was the first time that I ever watched Jaws. (laughs) Or a scene from Jaws, more accurately, that wasn't most inviting for a five-year-old to see the night before he goes to Pensacola Beach. So I go to Pensacola Beach that next morning and do not want to get into the water because I had seen enough and I was sure that lurking in ankle-deep water there was a great white shark right there. And so I decided that I wasn't going to get in. My mother coaxed me into it, especially my uh, two older cousins. They coaxed me into it and I am promptly five minutes into the water before I was stung by a ginormous jellyfish. So once again, I was sure that the water was not a place that I needed to be in. And so for the next, what in my memory seems like years, most accurately probably was weeks and months, I was sure that what happened to me at Pensacola Beach was sure to happen to me at the YMCA pool also. (laughs) I mean, just irrational kind of fears. Anytime I'd get around water, whether it was river water, whether it was a friend's pool, whether it was going back down to to Florida, I I would hear the theme song of Jaws. And that's where I realized, even then, that fear is a thief. I mean, it just robs us of joy in the moment. It robs us of opportunities in the present and in the future. It certainly robbed my mother of her sanity while we were there on a family vacation. And I have, a, I have a sneaky suspicion that many of you, if not all of you, know exactly what I'm talking about. And what is our hope in the face of fear? Sometimes the Bible talks about fear and it doesn't talk about fear in a bad way. We'd be remiss to not get too far into the sermon to say that sometimes the Bible tells us that there are things that we should fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. 
So I'm not talking this morning about a healthy respect and reverence for God. I'm neither talking about, nor am I trying to discount, the the true fears that, that lead us to wisdom and lead us to prudence and lead us to caution in life. There's some things that God has given us the common sense and the intellect to be able not to do. And that healthy caution and healthy fear actually is a gift to us in this world. I also am aware that there, there is real trauma in this world. And there, there are real phobias that people do face in this world. And I'm grateful that there are godly women and men who are doctors and counselors and psychologists that can help us uh, walk the road in, in conversation with the Word of God and the community of believers to be able to, to walk in hope and to not be paralyzed by our fear. But you know this as well as I do, that sometimes our fears, even with all of those caveats, are rooted in spiritual issues. That there's sometimes our fear of rejection and our, our fear of failure, our fear even of death, can at its core be a, a lack of faith in God. Faith is always an opportunity for you, my friends. Do you hear me? Faith is always an opportunity for, for you and for me to place our faith in Christ. Faith is always an opportunity for your faith in Christ to flourish in the midst of your fears. The psalmist would say it this way, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. First verse, Psalm 27, gives us three images, three metaphors that describe our hope in the midst of whatever fear that you might face. That our God is our light, our God is our salvation, and our God is our stronghold in the face of fears. When fears surround us, when fears are behind us, and fears are before us, you can face your fears by fixing your gaze upon your God. Notice again in Psalm 27, don't fear. Why? There's a lot to fear. Don't fear because God is your light. You don't have to fear Because God is a light that never is extinguished. That God is a light that penetrates the darkness that is before us, around us, and behind us. And there is real darkness, and darkness can be unnerving. The darkness of the unknown, it is often our our instinctual reaction to fear. I mean, many of you remember this growing up, the storms come through your small sleepy town in the middle of the night and, and you would not be awakened by the sound of thunder or lightning, but you would wake up and you would be startled because there was this engulfing of darkness all around you. Or down the hallway there would be a, a bathroom and you would leave the light on just so that as, a, as one of the kids would get up and they could find their way to the bathroom. And that, and that light that would penetrate down the hallway into the bedrooms, it was off. 
And your house makes sounds, doesn't it? The sounds that, that we take for granted, the sound of the, the humming of the electricity that's powering the refrigerator is silenced. The hum of the air conditioning unit that cools the house in that June and July stormy night, it, it, is, it is silenced. And, and you wake up in that moment and you look around and your eyes have not adjusted. And it's in that moment that fear can engulf you as a kid and it can startle you even as an adult. And it's in that moment that the sound of silence startles you. And darkness does not feel like an old friend that's come to casually talk to you again. In that moment, darkness seems to overpower. Darkness seems to win. Darkness seems to lead us to, to fear and to fear with, with gusto in that moment. But what the Word of God tells us is that God's Word is our light before us. And the Word of God, Jesus, is the light that never can go out. And the Spirit of God that dwells in us as Christians is the very light of the world that cannot be overpowered by the darkness in us nor around us. The Gospel writer John would describe Jesus in utilizing this beautiful image right here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 4, in Him was the life, and the life was the what? The light of man. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and hear me, the darkness has not overcome it. There's real darkness in this world. All you got to do is turn on your television. There's real darkness in this world. There's real depravity in this world. War is real in this world. Crime is real in this world. Immorality at times reigns, it seems, in this world. So there is real darkness. But the hope in the midst of the darkness is, is that the light of Jesus, it is not consumed by the darkness, but it breaks through the, the darkest of nights. The light always consumes the darkness and if Jesus is a light and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, you do not have to live a life blinded by the fear of what you cannot see. Because darkness has not and cannot and will never overcome the world. Because Christ is in you. His light never goes out. He needs no electrical source. He needs no solar source. He is a light that can never be extinguished. So do not fear because God is your light. But also this morning, do not fear because God is, notice again in Psalm 27, God is our salvation. And it's not that he is just a light that shines in the darkness, but he is our salvation in the midst of real enemies. Notice how the psalmist, he, he categorizes again and again that he's not, he, these are not imaginary enemies here. He catalogs one after another the enemies that surround him or before him. Notice again in verse 2, when evildoers assail me. Notice how descriptive this is, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Notice in verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up above. Above who? My enemies. Where are your enemies? They're all around me. Notice verse 11 and verse 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. 
Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Sometimes we think as Christians that the reason we don't have to fear is because God puts a a immunity around us as Christians, and, and, and we can go through life, and he's like a divine bulldozer that just bulldozes all of the obstacles out of our way. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you'll hear people say sometimes you got, you got smooth driving around because he is going to give you the smooth, bump-free ride, and it's just not true. It wasn't true for Jesus, the Son of God. It wasn't true for the disciples. It wasn't true for the early followers of Jesus. It wasn't true for the martyrs whose blood actually is the very seeds of the church's growth. It wasn't true, and it's not true now. God does not promise as a follower of him that you're not going to have difficulties or pain or grief. Not a single one of us in this sanctuary have a mailing address that is the Garden of Eden. We live in a world where there are difficulties. We live in a world where pain is real. We live in a world where they actually are enemies, evil, and sin that threatens us. Jesus himself told the disciples in John chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Well, Jesus, why do we need peace? Because in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I wish, it would be so much better if I could just stand before you and say, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, life is going to be smooth sailing. But you know better. That, that's, not, that's not the life that God promises us here. He doesn't promise that there will not be times where waves batter against the ship of, of, of life. That, that you're floating in, and at times it feels like the storms are blowing you to and fro. At times it feels as if you're going to capsize. And so Scripture does not tell you that you're stronger than the waves. Actually, your weakness is found when the waves come against the ship of your life. He doesn't promise that, that you're bigger and you're badder than the waves. No, what Scripture promises us is that nothing will knock your God down. That in Christ, you have hope, no matter how big the waves are, no matter how, how stormy life becomes. Why? Paul would say it this way, No, in all things we're more than conquerors, through him who loved us, that I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, anything else, any wave, any difficulty, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our hope. Not that we can get through things, but he is with us through all things. That's our hope. Spring break was a couple weeks ago for many people. Many of you in June and July are beginning, especially families, to make plans some of your plans are going to be to go to Disney. Some of your plans will go to Universal. Some of you will make a Six Flags stop. And you'll get on rides that promise you to take your breath away. You will get on rides that will go really, really fast. That will flip you upside down. That will take you at breakneck paces through twists and turns and you will get on that ride 
how crazy are you? <laughs> as fast as it will go. Now, the reason you get on that ride is, is, is because in, in your mind, you know that someone has designed this. This is not a never-ending journey. And it's not that you're going to get on a ride and say, this might be three minutes or it might be 37 minutes. It might be a couple of days or it might be three minutes. No, you know there's a duration to this ride. You know there's a design to this ride. You know there's a, there's a purpose behind the slow ascent. And there's a purpose behind the, the quick descent that takes away your breath and the twist and the turns that it takes you on. And one of the promises of Scripture is, is you are going to face twists and turns in life. That there are going to be times where, where you do not see the drop that is going to take your breath away. You never saw it coming. And there are other times where you can feel the, the, the slow ascent and you know that it's going, to be, it's going to be a bumpy ride down. And you can see that and you can feel that. But as a Christian, you can ride the, the ride of life with confidence. Because you know it is not purposeless. You know that there is a grand designer. And you know that there is one who is not surprised by the twists and the turns. You know that there is one who doesn't get on that ride along with you through the Spirit of God that dwells in you that is surprised by anything that befalls you. Well, that, that would be something to fear, wouldn't it? What if you happen to go to Disney or you go to Universal and you happen to ride in the same cart with the person that designed the ride and then in the mid part of it he looks over at you or she looks over at you and says hey I don't know what we're doing right now this isn't the ride that I designed you would want off can I reassure you that God is never surprised by the twist of your life, that while your breath might be taken away, God never loses his breath. An angel never comes to God with the daily news of your life and the difficulties, and God look at that and say, whoa, I didn't see that coming. So no matter how fast no matter the flips and the turns, you're on a ride that ultimately God through his sovereignty can bring about good and his glory. So do not fear because God is our salvation. Do not fear because God is our light. And finally this morning, do not fear because God is our stronghold. Notice again in verse 1 of Psalm 27, the Lord is my light. What is the second image right there? My salvation, of whom shall I fear? And then you hear in verse 1, the third image that he brings before us, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. That's in the English Standard Version. Some of you are reading other translations. And what do you have? Not stronghold, but you have fortress that's there. Synonyms that go back and forth here. Stronghold, fortress, same thing. Ancient Near Eastern world, the primary defense against invading armies. It's not to arm all the citizens. No, it is to, to fortify the walls. It is to have unscalable walls. It is to have walls with, with much expense and building that are strongholds that protect the, the uh, other cities from invading, the other countries from invading. Years ago, when I was a college student, for three months, I, I went and worked at a Christian camp in Wales. 
not how many of you have been to Wells, but one of the things about going to Wells that a part of the, the tourist industry of Wells is that there are 427 castles that you can visit in Wells. 427 castles. Some of them were, were built in the 12th century. Some of them were built in the 13th century. The most famous castle was built by Edward I, an English king who set up in Wells in Carnarvon and built this huge Titanic too big to fail, castle. It took him 47 years to build that castle. It had these doors that were unbreachable. It had these towers that were unscalable. And if you go now as a tourist attraction to this castle and the remains of this castle, what you're going to hear as your guide takes you through the castle is how the Welsh people took and looked at, at the castle that was being built for 47 years and said, you know something? That's not unbreachable. And so the history of that castle is that in 1294, it was breached. In 1415, it was breached. In 1485, it was breached. Now it's a tourist attraction. It's a monument to failed ambition. It's a monument to the hubris of life to say, we can build something that's impenetrable. We can build something that uh, we are 100% sure can fortify us from the enemies that are around us. And there is still that pride that lurks in our human heart. We think to ourselves, that we can build castles that will protect us from disease and death and difficulty. And I hope you know this. You just cannot, this side of heaven, protect yourself from tribulation. It will befall you. It will come your way no matter how strong you are, no matter the fortification of finances that you have, no matter your intellect, no matter your ingenuity. The reality that we have to come to grips with is, is that we cannot, with 100% accuracy, protect ourselves from the evil of sickness, the evil of tragedy. And in the midst of that, you say, well, that David is something to fear. Well, is it? See, in your weakness, it is then that you realize the strength of the fortress that is your God. A fortress that is impenetrable. Your God who has no weak spots or flaws in his design. He cannot be scaled by the enemy of death. He cannot be scaled by the enemy of Satan himself. He is your mighty fortress who is your God. I can't even say... That line, without humming in the back of my mind, the, one of the greatest hymns of our faith, a mighty fortress, is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amidst the floods of mortal ills prevailing. Many of you know at least some of this song, this hymn of the faith. It was written by the German reformer Martin Luther. It was written in the 16th century. And some of you know the words, but do you know the story behind it? It, it comes when Luther in 1527 was at one of the lowest points in his life. He, on April the 22nd, 1527, is preaching for his congregation. He has a dizzy spell. He passes out. He's not able to finish his sermon. It's 10 years before that he, he had uh, nailed this protest of 95 abuses of the Catholic Church of his day. And he had been haunted by political threats. He'd been haunted by uh, and, and, and really hounded in so many ways by, by uh, those that opposed him for a decade. 
been battered by political opposition, been battered by theological controversy. One of the things about Luther is that he suffered, as many biographers would tell the story, he suffered from severe depression throughout his life. He suffered through bouts of sickness. In 1527, the the, uh, bouts of depression were longer than before. The sickness was on and off. And in the midst of that, there is the bubonic plague. And that invades the, the community that he lives in. Fear spreads among the townspeople. Many of them fled. Luther considers it his duty to stay with his pregnant wife to care for those that are sick. His home becomes a hospital and he takes people in. There are many of his friends that end up succumbing to this that spread through his community and many die. He does funerals for many of them. His own son becomes ill. And in the midst of all of this, all of this difficulty, all of this sickness, all of this uncertainty, all of this that any human being should fear, he sits down and he writes these words, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foes so seek to work us woe, his craft Power great and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. That goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. You see what Luther is saying? Not that there's not sickness. Not that there's not difficulty, and not that death is not some enemy that all of us will face here in this life. What he is saying in the midst of all of those things that are before him, around him, behind him, he is saying what the psalmist is saying here, is that you do not have to succumb to a fearful heart. Do not fear when the storms of life rage. Do not fear even when you're blinded by the storms of trials. Do not fear when death and disease and sickness and depression and despondency, and they all come and they knock and knock and knock. Because they will. They will. But we do not have to fear. Because God is the light that can never be extinguished. We do not have to fear because God is our salvation that is always sure. And we do not have to fear because he, my friend, is your fortress that never fails. So do not fear. You have a mighty fortress who is your mine. He is our God. Let us pray. So it is, God, that we come to you this morning recognizing that our hope rests not in our ability to avoid obstacles and difficulty and tribulation. Our hope rests in you are the one who walks with us in the midst of it all, 
You are our light. You are our salvation. You are our fortress. So in our weakness, we're reminded of your strength. In our frailty, we're reminded that you are our sure foundation. When we're shaken by the events of life, we once again are reminded that in you, we stand on a firm foundation. It's unshakable. We thank you that you're a God who's defeated death. You're a God who's defeated the enemy. You're a God who gives us hope to face anything and everything in life, reminded that you never leave us nor do you forsake us, that you walk with us in all seasons of life. And for that, we are a grateful people. We're not just grateful, God, but if we're honest to you, we are forgetful. And so this very morning, we ask you to help us be reminded of these wonderful truths that we've sung of, these wonderful truths that are so beautifully revealed to us in your word, and help us to choose to walk in faith instead of walking in fear today and all the days that you give us ahead. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.